Well, let me ask you a question. Who in here has ever been to Bush Gardens? A lot of hands. Do we like Bush Gardens? How do we feel about Bush Gardens? Eh? I'm more of a, I'm more of a Disney fan myself, but, uh, but Bush Gardens is pretty awesome. But the reason I ask that is because I have a, a, a funny story about Bush Gardens. So me and my mom... We went to, to Bush Gardens one time, and she took me out of school, and she said, hey, we're just going to go to the park, we're going to have fun, and, uh, and it was a great time. So, but she told me something that made me worry the whole day. She says, you're going to have to ride this roller coaster. And so if you don't know this about me is that I don't like upside-down roller coasters. I'm very afraid of them. And I might regret telling you guys that, but that is the truth. I've always been afraid. I don't know why, but I like Space Mountain, Thunder Mountain, Gwazi, all these rides that don't go upside down, I'm all in for. But if they go upside down, I want nothing to do with them. So she says, hey, I want you to get over this fear, and I want you to ride this roller coaster. So I said, well, if that's what I have to do, that's what I have to do. So we go to Bush Gardens, we have a lot of fun, uh, we're, we're eating, we have lunch, we get ice cream, we're seeing the animals, all this good stuff. And throughout the day, I'm just so worried because I have to ride this roller coaster. It's almost ruining my whole day of fun because all I can think about is getting on this roller coaster and riding it. So the time finally comes, we finally get in line and almost instantly, I start sweating, my stomach starts turning, I start hurting, I'm just so nervous, everyone in line is having fun and laughing, I'm just over here kind of like hunched down in a fetal position, I am, I am so scared to ride this ride. So we get, it was about 30 minutes, and it was probably the longest 30 minutes of my whole life, and so we, we finally come up to the ride, we get in, my mom gets in first, and I get in, I buckle my seatbelt, I pull down the arm restraint, and this is like the apex of my fear, okay? I have never been more afraid in this moment than ever in my life before. So I'm at the, I'm at the apex of my fear, and right before we take off, I say, stop, get me off, get me off this ride, I don't want to be on this, get me off, get me off, get me off. So the, the person comes over, he unbuckles my seatbelt, he pulls up this, uh, the, the, uh, the, the bar, and I get off the roller coaster, Yes, I know. I was, a, I was a big, big baby. Very embarrassing, but I didn't care. I didn't care. I, I just wanted to ride the ride. No, I wanted nothing to do with it. So I left my mom by herself um, to ride the ride, uh, but she loves roller coasters, so it was all okay. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you can relate to that specific situation, but I know all of us can relate to being afraid of something. Maybe it's the doctor's office and you dread going to get shots. Or maybe it's the dentist and you hate waiting to find out if you have a cavity and you need it to, to be filled. Or maybe it's a, a big test that you didn't study for and now you're freaking out about passing it. If we aren't careful with these weaknesses, they can control every area of our lives. So I know not liking or enjoying roller coasters is a very unpopular opinion, but we all have a fear. We all have a, uh, an anxiety or worry, a weakness, 
I also don't like shots, but that's just me. Um, I also don't like going to dentists. I may have a lot of fears I, I may have to work through, but all of us have some kind of fears, right? And if we aren't careful with these weaknesses, they can control every area of our life. How we act, how we think, and how we view things. It can cloud our decision making. Well, tonight we are in the final week of our teaching series, Hall of Fame. And throughout this series, we are looking at several of the people listed in Hebrews 11. We are taking an up-close and personal look at their lives, successes and failures, and ultimately to see what we can learn from their story of faith. But to fully understand their faith, we first must understand what faith is, which is why in week one we answered the question, what is faith? Faith is not a feeling, it isn't blind trust, it isn't even positive thinking, biblical faith is a faith that leads to action. We saw that Enoch walked with God because of his faithful walk. He was taken right up to heaven. Last week, Morgan talked about Rahab and how she pursued God faithfully despite of her reputation and her past. But tonight, we are going to be looking at our final character in our series. So like we've been in all series, we're in Hebrews 11. So if you turn your, your Bibles there or your phones to Hebrews 11, we're going to start in verse 32 also be on the screen behind me. It says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies." We are going to take a look at a man named Gideon tonight. Again, a lot of us probably don't know who Gideon is, and that's a good thing because that is a big part of why we're doing this series, to look at the people who aren't super well-known in the Hall of Faith chapter. So let's jump into Judges chapter 6 to see his story. So maybe in Judges chapter 6, uh, but before we begin, I want to kind of give you a context, a, a background of what's going on in Judges. So the story begins with a nation of Israel. Israel is being disobedient to what God has called them to do. In the Ten Commandments, God clearly lays out that he is the one and true God that deserves to be worshipped and only him. Well, for Israel, this wasn't what they were doing. They were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And because of this evil and disobedience, the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites were a rival army of the nation of Israel, and they were very powerful with lots and lots of men. What was happening were the Midianites would, would come and they would wreak havoc in the land of Israel. They would steal all their crops, their harvest, their livestock, and they would take everything in sight and leave nothing behind for the Israelites. Everything Israel worked so hard to get would just be gone in a matter of a day because of these Midianites. And this happened for seven long days years. Because of this terror they faced, the Israelites would run into caves and mountains to hide. Because they knew they were coming, they wouldn't stand around and wait to get attacked. They would respond in fear and go into hiding. Eventually, the Israelite people had enough of what has been going on, and they cried out to the Lord for help. So we kind of enter judges here with something crazy going on. So because of the Israelites' disobedience and worshiping false gods, God gave them to the hand 
of the Midianites. So I want to, to make something clear. The Israelites believed that God was real. They believed that he was powerful, but they also believed in other gods and worshiping other gods. So idols, statues, these kinds of things they would worship. And God clearly laid out in the Ten Commandments that he gave to Moses that I am the only true God and I am the only one who should be worshipped. Well, they weren't following that rule. And so what happened is, is God gave them over into the hand of the Midianites and every year for seven years the, the land of Israel would be attacked and everything would be ransacked. Everything. And nothing would be left behind because of the disobedience of the Israelites. And finally, after seven long years, they cried out to God asking, God, can you please save us? Can you please help us from this attack? And this is where we find Gideon for the first time. So we're in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. And it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Eberizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So one of the first things we see here is Gideon is one of the Israelite people hiding away from the, Midianite, uh, from, from the Midianites. And so uh, Gideon was no different than all the other, other Israelite people. He wanted to hide away and, and be away from, from where the Midianites were. The angel of the Lord met him where he was at, and we can see that Gideon was, was very afraid of what would happen if he didn't go hide away. And that's exactly what he did. He took his crops and he hid from the attacking uh, Midianites. He hid, in, he hid in this thing called a, a wine press. And a wine press was used to, to crush grapes to make wine. And these wine presses would be at the, the bottom of the mountains or valleys. And he was hiding in one of these. So, so I, I want you to try to, to paint a picture of where he was hiding to kind of, uh, so you can see his, his fear. So these wine presses would be away from the sun, and, and these mountains are valleys, so the sun wouldn't make it sour to drink. Um, so he was hiding in this, and he took his crops with him. So it's a place away from the sun, and so when he takes his crops, obviously crops aren't going to go in a place where there's no sun. But he didn't care about that. He just wanted his crops. He wanted to hide away where no one could find him. But God found him and started having this conversation. It's interesting to see what the angel of the Lord said to Gideon. He called him a mighty warrior. Gideon was probably thinking, how am I mighty? I'm in here hiding like everybody else. I've taken my crops with me. Man, I'm good. I'm going to hunker down until they leave, and then I'll go back out. But we will find out the answer to that question as we move further along in the story. So continuing on in verse 13, we start to see this conversation between God and Gideon. And I want you to notice the tension. I want you to notice the tension that's happening here in this conversation. It says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned around and said, go in strength. You have, you have to save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied again. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. 
So I want you to see how Gideon replied. He almost kind of said, like, excuse me? Like, what did you just ask me to do? Gideon, he's, he's again, he's showing his weakness of being fearful and doubting of what God has asked him to do. I believe in this situation, God did not stutter when he asked Gideon what he needs to do. When he told Gideon what needs to happen. But, but you can see Gideon still say, are you sure? Are you sure it's me? I don't know. But God told Gideon he needs to go where he was hiding to save the Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. Then we see again Gideon replied to God with fear. He says that his clan is the, is the weakest in the land. And he is the least of that clan. Gideon is basically saying that he's at the bottom of the totem pole. He's questioning God of why God would choose him and not someone else stronger than him. So we can already see that, that Gideon has a lot of weaknesses. He has self-doubt, doubt in God. He's fearful of what the Midianites are doing. But we, we can see this tension from, from him and, uh, and from the Lord of like, God, I, I know you're calling me, but you know, I, I don't think I'm strong enough. You know, I don't think I'm worthy enough. But I know what your word says, but I still don't know if I can do it. But do you see what God says after that? He says, I will be with you. God wasn't focused on Gideon's strength and Gideon's ability to complete the task God asked him to do. God has enough power. It wasn't a coincidence God picked Gideon. It wasn't a coincidence that God chose Gideon to be the man to save Israel out of, these, out of this army's hand, that he was weak. He was fearful, he was doubtful, he was scared. Not only was he those things, but he was at the, the, the least clan and at the bottom of the least clan. Right? When we think about somebody being the lowest of the low, Gideon, Gideon fit, fit, fits the, the definition. So instead of saying yes, he doubts God and asked God to show him a sign that it was actually God talking to him. So Gideon, he brought an offering. He brought a young goat's meat. And, and, the, and the yeast of bread, so basically dough. So he, br he brings goat, he brings bread dough, and he lays it down on a rock. And the angel of the Lord struck it with fire, and it was consumed. Gideon, after that, knew it was for sure God was talking to him. So God didn't uh, Gideon didn't believe God was actually telling him that he needs to go. So he's like, you know what? God, I need you to show me a sign. To just to make sure it's you, uh, it's you're telling me to go, not somebody else, I'm not dreaming, I need you to, to strike this on fire, and, that, and that's what he did. So if we fast forward a little in the story, we find Gideon doubting God, once again and asking God to show him another sign to reveal to himself that God was going to be with him. So let's, let's fast forward to verse 36, so we just saw one miracle God did, and now we're about to see two more. Verse 36, it says, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all on the ground is dry, then I will know you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early in the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me just, let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test of the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. So Gideon, we, we see here that test God twice. 
by asking him to show uh, what he said is what he meant. By putting a fleece on the ground and wetting nothing else but the fleece and then asking him to do it in reverse order. So God already gave Gideon a sign and here Gideon asked God to do a second miracle to confirm his word. And then a third miracle to confirm it again. So as we can see, there's a common theme here with Gideon. He's doubting God. He's fearful of what God asks him to do. And he really wants God to show up. He really wants God to give him a sign. But God literally just performed a sign in the last few verses, but he's asking him to do it again. And then not only to do it again, but in reverse order. So we can see Gideon, he, he's very doubtful, he's very fearful. We can see his weakness is coming out in this conversation and, and actions with the Lord. Gideon showed that he had a weak and imperfect faith. And even though Gideon is mentioned in Hebrews 11, he was still a human being and showed weakness from time to time. Now after God has shown him three separate times that he will be with, uh, with Gideon through the battle... Gideon put his full faith and trust in God. So finally, after the third miracle, Gideon says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I, don't, I, I still don't think I can do this, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you, and, and we're going to do this. So finally, after the third miracle, uh, Gideon listens, and now he's with God. So let's jump back into the story one more time and see how God shows his strength yet again. And we're going to jump to Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 2. And so the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord said to him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog's laps from those who kneel to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With three hundred men that lapped, I will save you from the Midianites into their hands. Let all others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home and kept the 300 who took over provisions and trumpets from the others. We see here that Gideon and his men are ready to go into battle. They're ready. 32,000 men Gideon has, he has behind him. We're going to defeat the Midianites. We're going to do this. We have God behind us. Man, we can do this. But God says to Gideon, I'm going to take some men away. So you may be asking, why does, why does God want to take men away? It's because he wants no shadow of a doubt that God is the person to put in front for this victory. He says, I don't want anyone to boast about what they've done. So from 32,000 men, we go to 300. That's a pretty big difference. God wasn't doing this to lead Gideon to failure, but to show him once again that he is the one that Gideon needs to put his faith and trust in. God made the army weak so he could make them strong. If Gideon went into this battle with 32,000 men without God, he would have lost. But God is telling us already that, Gideon, if you put your faith in me, you're going to win this battle. 
with one, two, three, 300 men. It doesn't matter. You're going to win this battle if you put your faith and trust in me. And we don't have time to, tonight to completely dive into what happened in the battle, but God leads Gideon's army to victory just like he said he would. He led them to victory by confusing the Midianite army to turn on each other and run away. Gideon had a trumpet, a torch, and a clay pot. And with those three instruments, God led them to victory. So a quick summary of what happens, because it might be confusing, is they took 300 men around this camp uh, where the Midianites were. And, and with the men, 300 men around the camp, they had a torch, a trumpet, and a clay pot. No swords, no weapons, no spears, nothing like that. A trumpet, a torch, and a clay pot. So this is what happens. Uh, God tells Gideon, hey, I'm going to confuse the Midianites. So they blow their trumpets, they throw down their clay pots, they throw the torches in the air. So I just want you to imagine what the Midianites are thinking is, why is it so loud? There's trumpets going, we're in war, there's, there's pots and pans breaking, uh, the, there's smoke in the air, torches everywhere, people are yelling. And so this confuses the Midianites. They start freaking out. They start killing each other. They, they, start, I mean, they start killing their friends and their buddies in arms. They start running away. And so God confuses the Midianite army, and Gideon's army wins. With 300 men. Pretty awesome story, right? But as we close tonight, what can we take away from Gideon's faith? Right? There's this awesome story about uh, torches and, and war and armies and battle. But man, what can we take away from Gideon's faith? And I feel like there's been one common theme throughout the story. In our weakness, God demonstrates his perfect strength. In our weakness, God demonstrates his perfect strength. We saw several moments in Gideon's story where he showed weakness instead of putting his trust in God's strength. <clears throat> he was hiding in fear in the mountains with his crops away from the Midianites. He doubted God when God chose him to save Israel by telling him that he was at the bottom of the totem pole of his clan. He doubted God by, by asking him to show him three separate miracles to show that God would be with him in battle, right? The offering and, and the fleece twice. At the end of the day, his weakness was his fearfulness. God promised to be with him through the battle, but Gideon had a hard time trusting God was going to come through. His fearfulness drove his decision making and clouded his judgment. There's one common theme we see throughout the, the whole story of Gideon. That every time God would ask him to do something, man, he'd just come up with an excuse. God, this is why I can't do this. I'm, I'm at the lowest of the totem pole. I'm not strong enough. God, I need you to show me something. See, Gideon had it all wrong. It wasn't about Gideon. It was never about Gideon. The story of Gideon's never about him. It's about God. It's about God showing him and giving him the strength that he needs to fight this battle. But the same, the same is true about us. We all have weaknesses that we struggle with on a daily basis. Right? We all have fears and doubts. Maybe you struggle with self-image and you struggle to see yourself as God sees you. Maybe you struggle with anxiety and worry and you're always worried about everything that happens in your life. Maybe you care too much about what people think about you and it controls your thoughts and your actions when you're around people. 
Maybe you're fearful of the future and not knowing what it will bring. We all have weaknesses. There's, all, there's, there's something in our life that sometimes maybe controls our thoughts and our decision making, whatever that may be. Can I just say something? I want, you, I want everyone to hear me here. It's okay to have weaknesses. It's okay to have weaknesses. We all do. But what's important is how we deal with them. Do we worry about how we're going to figure it out on our own? Or do we draw our strength from the Lord? So many times we try to fix our weaknesses on our own. We believe this lie that the world likes to tell us that we have to have it all together all the time. A lot of us believe that we have to put on some kind of face and act like nothing is wrong when in fact you're struggling with your weakness. The world tells us one thing, but the Bible tells us something completely different. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. I love that verse. And all throughout Paul's writings, we see that he was asking God to remove this thorn from his side. Scholars aren't sure of what that thorn is. And maybe it's a a physical thing or a mental thing, an, an emotional problem. But all throughout Paul's writings, we see him plead and ask God, please take this thorn from my side. Please take this weakness that I have from me. Paul was desperate in his desire to find relief from the thorn in his side. But listen to me, students. There are two ways of relief. It can come by removing the load or by strengthening the shoulder that bears it. Instead of taking the thorn away, God strengthened Paul. And God would show his strength through Paul's weakness. To do this, Paul had to believe that God's grace is sufficient. We really don't believe God's grace is sufficient until we are insufficient. I want to say that again. We don't believe God's grace is sufficient until we believe we are insufficient. That we can't receive God's strength until we know our Weakness. We can't receive the sufficiency of God's grace until we know our own insufficiency. Paul knew he had a weakness. Paul knew he was insufficient. That's why he leaned on God. Guys, let me tell you, you're insufficient. We have a weakness. You have a weakness. You can't do this life on your own. You can't. Man, but God, he's saying here that, man, my grace, my power, my love, my might, man, it's enough for you. It's sufficient for you. You don't need anything else. Right? And that's what he was telling Gideon all throughout the story. Gideon, you don't need to rely on your own strength. You're missing the point. You can't win this battle by yourself. You can't beat your weakness by yourself. You need God's power, period. Paul understood that when he was at his weakest, whether mentally, physically, or emotionally, then really he was at his strongest because it was God's power working through him. 
You and I were created to need God's power. Do you know that? That God created you to need him, to want him, to desire him. You were designed not to be able to handle it on your own. So when you try, that's why we always fail, just because we weren't designed that way. But God gives us a way out. He gives us a way to, to, to defeat our weakness, to pull it to the side. Because, man, we need to lean on God's power. Right? But we don't have full access to God's power when we try to do it on our own. God's power only comes to us, man, when we desire to lean on him. Even in Gideon's weakness throughout his story, he showed faith in the end. His faith wasn't in a spot, in a good spot right away that God was ready to use him. But Gideon knew that in his weakness, God would have to demonstrate his strength for them to win the battle. And Gideon had faith that God would do it, and he did. So as you leave here tonight, know that having a weakness, whatever it is, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to not be perfect. But remember, in our weakness, God demonstrates his perfect strength. In our weakness, God demonstrates his perfect strength. Have faith that God can give us the strength we need. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, we, we, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for this, this Easter weekend that we got to celebrate uh, his death and his resurrection. God, it was for us. It was for sons and daughters and, and anyone who would believe in him. So Lord, I, I pray tonight that we can learn from Gideon's story. That God, it's okay to have weaknesses. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to fall short. It's okay to not be perfect. Because God, you designed it that way. You designed it that we can only do this life with your strength, with your hope, with your power, and with your grace. God, you are sufficient for us. Thank you for loving us more than we could ever, ever imagine. Jesus, and I pray. Amen.